Welcome back to Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers, the podcast devoted to exploring the frontiers of psychedelic medicine and what it takes to cultivate a healthy mind, body, and spirit. I'm Dr. Steve Thayer, and today my co-hosts, Dr. Reed Robison and I discuss the concept of parts work, especially through the lens of internal family systems or IFS. We explore the concept of internal parts, how this so-called symphony of selves operates, We discuss how parts work can help us live well and and flourish. We even talk a bit about how Reed and I have used the parts work concepts to help ourselves as we're trying to make our way through this confusing and wild world. We'll talk a bit about how parts manifest during psychedelic experiences and much, much more. For those of you who are interested in becoming psychedelic therapists, but you don't know where to start, Numinous is offering an eight-week course called The Fundamentals of Psychedelic Assisted Therapy. This course provides education on psychedelic therapy basics, including the core skills needed to facilitate preparation, medicine, and integration sessions. So if you're curious and you want to learn more, go ahead and click the link in the show notes or go directly to numinous.com forward slash hour dash training dash selection. You can use the code PTF10 for 10% off the price. If you're the kind of person who waits to the last minute to make major life decisions and you haven't decided to sign up for the MAPS Psychedelic Science Conference in Denver yet, not too late. Numinous is still offering an exclusive 20% off discount code to our PTF podcast listeners. So you can click on the link in our show notes and use the code NWI20 at checkout for that 20% off. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by leaving us a rating or review in places like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you're watching on YouTube, you can like the video, subscribe to the channel, and maybe even share the episode with somebody you think might benefit from it. So without further ado, here is our conversation today about parts, parts work, and IFS. Here we are again. It's good to see you, Reed. Same. How you doing? I'm good. I'm doing well. Looking forward to the weekend. Looking forward to relaxing. I'm going to a friend's house who has a pool, and... Uh, I wish I had a pool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's probably better to have friends who have pools than to own a pool like like you. You've got a pool, right? Yep. And then right when spring came this year, the pool cover froze. So we oh, couldn't no. open it for weeks because all the pool cover people were backed up. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, frozen pool covers. I also didn't realize how expensive those pool cover Ugh. parts are. Yeah. So yeah, these are these are big problems right, yeah, to huge. complain about <laughs> first world problems um and i'll just give my acknowledgement of pool privilege mm-hmm. um so yeah i uh looking forward to the weekend but before we get there i guess we should have a podcast here uh thinking about the topics we've been asked to cover by the listeners the things that we haven't covered already in our over 100 episodes um we certainly have mentioned the concept of parts mm-hmm. of parts work especially when talking about internal family systems therapy. Uh, you were recently went through the level one, what certification or training yeah. uh, in IFS. So we talked about parts a lot, but we had never dedicated an entire episode to parts, to parts work. Um, and it's become so interesting, relevant, uh, dare say popular in mm-hmm. the psychedelic therapy space to use parts work either covertly or overtly. Um, and so, yeah, I thought we would talk a little bit about parts. I like it. It's certainly been helpful not only in client sessions, in psychedelic therapy sessions as well, but personally. Yeah. Just, just having, getting immersed in this parts 
way of viewing the world over the past few years has been really useful, especially like when um, I think the parts work community often likes to call it activated instead of triggered. Mm. I like that. Yeah, I think I think of the the different psychotherapy techniques that I've learned or the different theoretical orientations to psychotherapy that I've learned over my many years as a psychologist. Um, there have been ones that like really, really resonated with me personally mm-hmm. that have been helpful for my all my messiness and my wounding and, and whatever um, and self-improvement. The first that I encountered that felt that way was ACT, acceptance and commitment yeah, therapy. I like that. Um, and I'm certainly cognitive behavioral techniques and strategies, the idea of, of thinking errors. I remember early in my mm-hmm. training was like, oh, this is really helpful. I, I'm biased and this is unhelpful thinking and I can edit and challenge these thoughts, that kind of thing. Um, but then later on, it was emotion-focused therapy, dealing directly with emotions, using you know two-chair type techniques clinically and sort of doing that. That was sort of my first encounter with parts, actually. When I was learning uh, mm-hmm. you know, EFT, and my supervisor was encouraging me, encouraging me to do these, these two chair or empty chair activities with mm-hmm. my clients where, you know, they play the role of a part in one chair, have a conversation with another part of themselves and then switch, or they, you know, put their internalized, internalized mother or internalized father on the chair and they talk to them and they express things that they might not be able to express otherwise. And that was really cool, but I wasn't exposed to IFS until fairly recently. I mean, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I actually sought out an IFS therapist and had a you know six months or so of my own therapy with Same. somebody. Yeah, and uh, incredibly useful. Even though some of the guided visualizations at the time I felt like were a little weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, I'm not. I'm not <clears throat> personally. I don't use those things personally. I, I've I use them with my clients that that are, are that tend to be pretty helpful. But I haven't found that I connect with guided visualizations really really well until this until IFS. I'm going to keep rambling for a second. So this, I remember, um, my IFS therapist guiding me to connect with an, uh, sort of a, I guess what in IFS they might call an exile, a part of me that might be like a, an inner child who has developed a really, really critical voice. And, uh, I won't go into all the details, but to see this part of me as a part of me that had an understandable agenda, helped me have a level of self-compassion, like relax into a level of self-compassion that I, had been really hard for me to achieve um, before then. So anyway. Yeah, I think you're highlighting something that I really love about parts work and internal family systems in particular is just this stance that there are no bad parts. Mm-hmm. Every part has positive intent for you. You know, there may have been some... some uh, thoughts and behaviors that developed at a time for protection that are no longer needed now, some outdated uh, coping strategies, if you will. But uh, the no bad parts thing has been extremely helpful for me, especially coming from the eating disorder world where Mm -hmm. um, there are these two really popular books that almost everyone reads called Life Without Ed, where Ed is the personified evil eating disorder. Mm. And uh, some people take that. The books aren't really taking a stance of like bad parts in particular, but many people interpret it that way of Mm -hmm. like eradicate, destroy Ed. But, um, you know, under, under a parts work framework, you can't really get rid of a part. Like you can, you could uh, 
you could make it go into further hiding. You could make it roar its uh, angry head a little mm-hmm. more. But uh, the idea is to kind of love it into the light and give it compassion, understanding, so the parts can act more in harmony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're giving a good example of what parts work can look like. Maybe we should back up a bit um, and describe what parts are. Uh, so th- I think the over, and you can correct me where I get this wrong, but the overall concept being that we are comprised, our personalities, our psyches, our souls are comprised of multiple parts. So when you take a personality test like a Myers-Briggs or an Enneagram or whatever, um, and you get a typology, that typology is describing a the music that your symphony of selves tends to play. And mm-hmm. all of our parts uh, that are dominant are typically dominant because maybe we didn't get what we needed at a certain important junction in our de- development as a kid, or we did, right? We have you know parts that are nourished and, and function well or whatever, but it's the combination and the balance of those parts that, that essentially makes us who we are. Yeah, and... Uh... Another example is parts can often get stuck in past scenes of trauma or attachment wounds um, and often don't know that you've grown older and times have changed and uh, you could, you have resources to handle things in a different way now. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, you'll often hear this concept of the inner child, for example, Mm -hmm. and that's a reference to a part, right? To this this part of you that was arrested in development. And, you know, this is not unique to IFS, internal family systems. This, this is fairly common in in most psych, psych, uh, psychedelic psychological theories of human development and Mm -hmm. and psychopathology. Even Freud talked about like, you know, the psychosexual stages. And if you had trauma at any one of these stages, you, his words were cathect, you cathected this libidinal energy at this stage and it gets fixed into a a fixation, an oral fixation, an anal fixation, (laughs) whatever. Those are fun. Yeah. <laughs> They're fun to read about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a little weird, a little odd, but... Um, yeah. So yeah, this this notion that um, what happens to us when we're young in, in particular is, uh, what, what would you say, is uh, crucial for the development of our internalized family system, our parts. Yeah, yeah. so to, to summarize, we, we all have this uh, collection of parts inside of us and they're not really that ephemeral like meaning they will show up in a pretty consistent way even though it's really hard to take an inventory of all your parts mm-hmm. at any given time there are there are more than you think um, but there's this symphony of selves inside of us and sometimes parts can get um, conflicted polarized uh, within the system and uh, you know, some louder than others for sure. Like a part when activated, a certain protective part um, or previously wounded part might take the mic and just uh, dominate the inner dialogue. Um, But uh, the other crucial piece of this to highlight is that we have this capital S self Mm -hmm. essence or the capital S self part that is the real force of of healing and the real part that we want in the driver's seat. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, because capital S self is, is for me, uh, cumbersome to say, I've started calling this the core self. Um, but it goes by lots of other names and other, you know, um, psychological traditions or faith traditions or whatever. Self energy or self essence are the most commonly used ones in IFS. Um, and in IFS, so IFS, it's probably important to rewind just for a sec that internal family systems developed by Dick Schwartz is one of the more 
recent and like you said um, increasingly popular mm-hmm. ways of doing this and rightly so because it does make it accessible like I trained also in EFT mm-hmm. you know through the formal level one and and things like that and uh, it even though it has its own unique approach and I use a lot of EFT I gained a lot from it it's harder to get to the point of really doing parts work well uh, you know IFS makes it I think ex- accessible mm-hmm. you know with some caveats you still need to know what you're doing so you don't accidentally trigger protectors to make the work even harder right yeah. I mean, the client gets entrenched yeah I mean our friend Paul Filking um, he I think been trained in big mind and voice dialogue another example of a a therapy mm-hmm. that references parts uh, certainly gestalt therapy for its pearls Jungian, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ego state therapy yep. is another um, big parts one. Yeah, transactional yeah. analysis is another one. So it's, yeah, but I agree with you that at least the ones that I've studied, IFS feels pretty accessible, and it feels accessible mm-hmm. to my clients too. Yeah, so this this self essence or self energy we all have inside of it has like a universality, and it's. It has the eight C's mm-hmm. in IFS that I find really helpful because if you can find one or more of these eight C's, and I'll just uh, I'll just list them off here. Uh, if you can find those in yourself, it's a sign that your your self energy is on board, and that's needed to kind of uh, moderate the conversation and the the path towards healing among parts. But so so just to uh, clarify before you list them off, these are the these are the qualities of capital S self leadership. So when yeah. you're saying like which part has the microphone or has the steering wheel, this is how you can tell if uh, your core self or the self energy is is leading the system. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so we want to be self led. That's the goal. And this capital S self or self essence is our deepest essence. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dick Schwartz came up with these eight C's that make it easy to identify when that energy is on board and they are curiosity calmness compassion clarity courage and connectedness Mm -hmm. and so when these are present the self acts as a wise and compassionate leader for the system right yeah so maybe we could dive in a little bit on each of these c's and talk about what they mean in the context of ifs so um calmness you know, being one of the C's, I think, is uh, it's the calmness that you might also attribute to equanimity. Like yeah. If you're a practiced yeah. meditator or um, you want to be sort of the eye of the storm, um, the the capital S self, self energy is not unperturbed, <clears throat> but it's calm in the presence of perturbation maybe. Yeah, it's able to step back from the frazzled, panic, agitated state. And that's one I look for often, like um, whether I'm sitting in meditation myself, trying to return to center, AKA return to that self essence is I'll mm-hmm. look for that calmness um, or that equanimity, just like I'll look for curiosity. Am I, do I want to know more about this activated part or um, is that not there yet um, because I'm too, you know, panicked or, right. or too activated, mm-hmm. too defended? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's one that uh, has been a challenge for me personally to cultivate. When I, uh, we talked a lot about meditation, of course, and from my own personal meditation practice, calmness is often um, elusive. For yeah, me. especially right now in my life, just I a lot, of, I got a lot of stuff going on. Um, so yeah, sometimes there I have parts that show up at the stage of consciousness and don't want to be calm. <laughs> So I'm trying to meet those, as I tell my clients, I'm trying to meet those parts at the threshold of consciousness with self-energy. Like, hey, I talk to them as if they're kids, like as if yeah. I would talk to my 10-year-old. Hey there, buddy. You know, how are you? It looks like you have a message for me. You're welcome here, right? Yeah. And in the IFS level one training, they go really deep into the what they call the six f's of working with protector parts i'm jumping ahead a little bit mm -hmm. but we'll get back to this but the one f that i think is relevant here is uh, the question of how do you feel towards the part yeah and whether it's curiosity or compassion one of the other eight c's because if um if there's that curiosity or compassion or both and some calmness then that's seen as a green light in the therapy work to forge ahead and start working with that part but but you have to cultivate some self energy first mm -hmm. to be able to to do that. Yeah. yeah. And when you listen to, to Dick Schwartz on interviews, he almost always invites the host to engage in an exercise where he guides them through, you know, a, a visualization and you can see him peeling off parts as he's asking that question. Okay. How do you feel toward this part that yeah. showed up? Well, he's kind of annoyed. Okay. Could we ask that annoyed part to step into the waiting room of your consciousness? And <laughs> it's really fun to see him sort of peel him away as he's charging up self-energy in this person to really, if, if it's okay with the part and the other parts that are observing to contact this part and bring that healing uh, yeah. aspect of self-energy to it. It's a model with a lot of uh, consent, inner yeah. consent, which I also appreciate and have have, it's good to put um, some kind of conscious um, attention, awareness, and focus on the need for consent when doing inner work, mm. like and and uh, being able to check in with these different parts of if it's okay to keep forging ahead, or if or if one is getting flooded or just um, too activated to do any productive work. Yeah, it's a gentle form of therapy, I think for that reason, or I mean, it can be really challenging, but I think with, uh, like what you're saying, because there is this, um, overarching attitude of, in, of there, are, of compassion, there are no bad mm -hmm. parts and also consent. Like you're saying, it, it can be a gentle way to approach very, very sensitive things like trauma. Yeah, and we've, we've talked about it a little bit on here. We haven't dedicated an episode to it, but we, we could is we've talked about Hakomi mm. therapy, which I did some, training in uh with hannah last year and i love hakomi but it was interesting to see the intersection of hakomi and ifs a lot of former hakomi therapists have migrated to training in ifs mm. um, because there's so much like synergy and overlap and and then when as i've learned about it more the two therapies have collaborated a lot like in the 90s um a lot of uh a lot of the kind of you know deeply trained hokomi therapists and trainers uh, had some influence on ifs of bringing the body into the equation as a resource mm. and uh like the the way to locate these parts through body sensations and then the body as a resource to stay with it, but also that gentle approach they share. Yeah. That's interesting. 
Um, so maybe back to the C's. We talked about calmness. You mentioned curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, this the curiosity being, you know, maybe the like the Buddhist concept of beginner's mind. Yeah, yeah. Open, non-judgmental awareness. You know, the kind of curiosity you might have if you're doing a mindfulness meditation or trying to be mindful day to day. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. Uh, so when you encounter an internal part, you know you're in self-energy if you're, you know, feeling any one of these C's, but curiosity is a big one. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll use these just as a practical application. Like you said, this therapy has been really helpful for me personally. Mm-hmm. And even in ways that don't look much like formal parts work, but but like taking the eight C's and when I'm sitting in a meditation, whether it's in the morning or a midday kind of reset or a deeper dive at night, I'll look for these things. Like, do I have that, that curiosity, that mindset, um, that you mentioned has some similarities with this state of mindfulness or do I have compassion towards what was activated in the day? Do I have clarity? Like, can I see the big picture? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to to sort of scan your system to see if you're in touch with self energy or not. Yeah. Um, and if not, that's an opportunity to try, like to get curious, see if you can, can bring some self energy to the parts that have the microphone. And in my experience, my personal experience, um, they're not always willing to let go of the microphone. Like the other day I was just feeling super annoyed and (laughs) I was, I was trying to like, okay, like what would you tell yourself if you were your own client? Like, let's, let's slow it down. And this annoyed part was like, no, bro, (laughs) (laughs) I want to be annoyed right now. Just, you know, make sure you're, you get away from your loved ones so you don't do any damage and, and, you know, breathe through this. Yeah. And there was, that reminds me of an interesting exercise we did at one of the in-person, um, IFS training retreats. It was called like a U-turn exercise, Mm. but you're out there. It was really simple, but it was useful enough that, uh, that when, uh, we did this recent group ketamine cohort here uh hannah and i had people go through it um our group uh, ketamine participants Mm -hmm. but it's uh it's basically where you see your capital s self sitting in a chair there like you see it embodying across the room from you embodying all these qualities of self and you start moving towards it you want to embody that yourself and you notice all the things that pull you away from that path or that self-essence, um, whether it's uh, all the little ways that we um, get out of our, our our true self throughout the day or some of the like the big potholes we step in that derail us. But it's really useful to take an inventory of like what, what starts to happen as you get out of that self-energy mm. and what are the early warning signs so you can be on the lookout for them and mm. notice when they're happening earlier instead of when you're full-blown like you know, activated and out of your window of tolerance. I'd be curious to know what your early warning signs are for you. I'll, 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 as you're thinking, I'll, I'll share a few of them, what they are for me. Like if I am uh, lost in self-critical thought, um, that's usually early. I mean, maybe not so early, <laughs> but it's mm-hmm. usually a warning sign that, yeah, I've got a, I've got an exile or a protector perhaps who's taking the microphone. Um, if my body feels really, really, either tired or on edge. Um, I've learned to, I've been learning to really pay attention to my, to the way my nervous system is, is behaving. And, uh, as an early warning sign that maybe I'm being run too ragged or I'm putting too much pressure on myself. 
um, my, mm-hmm. my, my need or desire to control, to make sure everything is predictable is often an early warning sign that maybe I'm feeling a little too far outside my comfort zone. Yeah, so I need to make yeah. things clear, concise, predictable, um, unknowable. Mm-hmm. Those are a few of mine. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's fun to reflect on because they certainly come in these uh, themes, not only changing day to day, but you know, we tend to have uh, kind of certain vulnerabilities at different chapters of life. Yeah. Um, but uh, some that come to mind are just, if I'm taking things personally, mm. or if I'm not seeing the big picture, like if I don't have that clarity, or if I'm feeling discouraged, like lacking that other of the eight C's of confidence. confidence yeah. um, or if, uh, like, if the compassion isn't fully on board, those are early warning signs. You know, in fact, I was listening to this um, live meditation by uh, Adyashanti. Do you ever follow his work? Mm-hmm. Um, one of uh, one of my favorite living kind of Buddhist teachers. and um, But he was just guiding this process and doing this meditation and discussion around what pulls you out of enlightenment because we as humans spend probably much or most of our time out of that state and but what starts to happen as you um slip out of the place where we all want to remain but don't as humans and it is really interesting to look at those especially especially the early blips mm-hmm. because it's, I, you know, it's easier, it's easier to also intervene and gently pull yourself in early in the process of like decompensating. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, it, uh, it makes the process of, of learning about the, the organization of your internal family system important, but also for, at least for me, really interesting which helps with the curiosity piece, but yeah. you know, uh, getting to know myself from, through this lens, this perspective of parts has been one of the most helpful things for me personally in my own journey, um, that I've learned in recent years. Yeah. That's saying a lot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Given that I've dedicated my life to studying, <laughs> studying this stuff. Right. Um, so maybe some of the other C's, we don't have to dive too deep cause I do want to get to a few other points here, but, um, so clarity, curiosity, compassion, Confidence you mentioned, you know, confidence that you can handle the, the activations as they occur, you know, and I think yeah, some of the confidence comes this. from the relationship of trust built between the, your capital S self and these other parts. And that's, mm-hmm. that's part of the therapy too, is, you know, some of these exiles, protectors, firefighters, whatever, these parts um, feel like they have to take control and then we blend with them, meaning that yeah. they feel like they are who we are. And, but if they can learn and become aware of the presence of capital S self and learn to trust self's leadership, then you have the confidence that is, um, you know, typical of somebody who's self-led. Yeah. Confidence that the, the emotion will rise and fall. The trigger is a temporary activation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the confidence having walked through that over and over that you can do it again, you can ride the wave, um, which dovetails nicely into courage, right? Like th- yeah. that gives you the courage to act and to be accountable for your actions, mm-hmm. the courage to, um, I guess that comes from feeling less vulnerable because it's okay to be activated. 
right? Mm-hmm. We, we feel really, really vulnerable when we're trying to protect these tender parts of us that we don't want activated. But if you can be okay with those, with activation and, and triggering, then um, you can walk your life path with more courage. And it's not only okay, it's almost desirable, mm. right? Like we've talked about triggers being friends to follow mm-hmm. and um, how, or did this idea of bring on the triggers and I, I recently heard the story of uh, Pema Chodron um, who would uh, go to Tibet and just had these beautiful experiences out there because the people of Tibet were so kind mm. and so um, welcoming. But uh, she worried that she wasn't getting the inner trigger practice mm. by these trips. So she... Um, it's kind of funny. I think it was in one of her books, talks about how decided to bring her... IT person along who was really <laughs> triggering for her um, to support um, some of the things she was doing on this trip uh, because uh, it is desirable to high, to kind of unearth, highlight, and work on those areas of vulnerability that show up as triggers in life. Yeah. Yeah. And we, you're right. We have talked quite a bit about the utility of working with triggers. And I think uh, IFS is a great tool for that, for those yeah. reasons. And in fact, just to draw some more parallels, um, that's kind of a premise of Tantra work mm. and talking about not, not Tantra from a, like a sexual spirituality path, but Tantra from a, from a place of we are all, um, we are all interconnected and we provoke each other. We bump into each other in life. Like mm. I activate you, you activate me and together we grow. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And as we, as we bump into each other, we, we sort of can smooth each other's edges, but we can also cause these yeah. creative fractals that only happen because, you know, two things <laughs> collide in chaos and yep. um, like atoms colliding. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Well, it makes me think of another C that creativity, but, um, when you're in, I, I think when, when, uh, Schwartz talks about it, he compares it to flow the, you know, uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's Mihai's concept of being in flow of um, feeling like that the the synergy between how challenging the stimulus is and how skilled you are is perfectly aligned. You're not; it's not mm-hmm. unchallenging in the sense that it's boring, and it's not so challenging in the sense that uh, it's overwhelming. Yeah, that reminds me of a book that our our good friend Joe Flanders recommended, um, and that I've read more than once now is already free. Mm, yeah, um, I've read it. Yeah, and uh, there's just this one line in the chapter on relationships that stuck with me from the author who's a psychologist and a Buddhist, kind of long-term Buddhist practitioner, Mm -hmm. meditator, who says, it's interesting to be provoked. Like, that's part of being in relationship. And, like, if if you have that attitude of... uh, kind of this playful curiosity or, yeah, you're going to trigger me. I'm going to trigger you. That's how it works. Um, but if we keep that, um, those eight C's on board as we do it, um, it can also be quite fruitful and manageable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I like that you're talking about relationship and being provoked in relationship. The, I guess the last C that we haven't talked about is connectedness. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's also a good segue to talk about parts in psychedelic therapy work because, you know, from the IFS perspective, connectedness not only with other humans, other souls, but mm-hmm. connectedness 
internally, right? To be yeah. intrapsychically connected to all your parts, to have the system functioning as a healthy family led by the self, but also connected to the universe at large. You know, Schwartz talks about not only FS being uh, a form of psychotherapy, but also a form of, of secular spirituality, you know, yeah. almost like a spiritual practice. And it might be helpful to just uh, zoom out a little bit and look at the types of parts, the mm. way internal family systems defines them is there are two main categories of parts, protectors and exiles. Mm. Um, protectors are the ones that usually show up first in day to day, two types of protectors. There are managers and firefighters mm -hmm. and the managers are the ones that might keep us busy or distracted from feeling things or you know they protect us from feeling pain in a you know a frequent day-to-day -day kind of way and the firefighters are the ones that come out with the big fire hose and blast something away or in the face when there's a risk of really touching a core wound or some old pain like the those uh, things that are dramatic and out of proportion, or that saying we use when it's historic, when it's hysterical, it's historical. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. often a firefighter showing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe can you give an example of um, a manager? Like what 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 might a manager part be like? It could be something as simple as like checking your phone, just zoning out, or like like just numbing out with. Uh, with TV or busyness or that feeling we all have when we have some rare time and space where we could just sit and be, it's like the ones that pull us out. Oh, they're going to say it's dangerous to sit and be cause you might feel stuff right. and they'll pull you to go just keep busy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So Schwartz talks about, um, I think I mentioned it before blending with parts. So mm -hmm. you might describe yourself as, um, somebody who is restless or yeah. who needs to be busy, who can't sit still, uh, a perfectionist. And so this, yeah. these, these might be examples of manager parts that have yeah. sort of taken the role of your identity. Where, whereas a firefighter part could be like a, an addictive pattern. Right, your like, alcoholism. Yeah, or like a, going on a, an alcohol binge, for example, or just coming unhinged in relationship and like, yelling things you may regret at your partner because you were triggered. Um, and maybe even they just hit a button that's from an old wound, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So what's the relationship between protectors and exiles? So protectors are there to prevent the exiles from feeling more pain. Exiles would be like that wounded inner child. Um, and I got to admit, having the deeper I go in IFS, the more I realize that, um, well, one, the beauty and the simplicity of the model, but two, how there are some pieces that we don't often talk about or aren't often presented that I would find useful. Like, what do you call the healed parts mm. like, or um, what do you call a system that's in harmony? Um, on the one hand, IFS is a non pathologizing right. model, which is great and not really dependent on diagnostic, but it also does focus on the fact that there are, there are these protectors and exiles where I think the goal is to get to the place where, yeah, there will always be protectors there will always be wounds, but, um, but to have a system that's functioning harmoniously where 
um, exile may not be the right term anymore. Yeah, you know? so they might graduate from exile to something else. It might just be a part with inner a child. Yeah, yeah, and your inner child doesn't change in the sense that it does. It's not that it, it, you get rid of it, you excise it. Um, but I think you know one of the one of the steps to the therapy is bringing self energy to these parts, all of the types, so that they heal whatever they're carrying. And mm-hmm. that they're willing to offer up or let go of the role that they've taken on yeah, in favor of a more functional role. So the inner critic who's been trying to keep you, trying to make you perfect so that you wouldn't get rejected, you know, protecting the, the exile that feels wounded by rejection, sees the damage that it's done, decides to trust mm-hmm. the self, right? The capital S self and is now going to no longer be the inner critic in the damaging sense, but it's going to be, you know, the, um, your inner COO <laughs> yeah. who's, who's going to say, well, this is how things probably ought to operate if we want to achieve this goal, but it's letting go of the violence that it was using to get you to see things and to keep you perfect. Right? Yeah. I, I like that. It's, I have my IFS notebook here in front of me mm-hmm. and it's reminded me of something I, I wrote down on page one, which is the goal of IFS is, uh, the first point, release parts from extreme roles. Mm-hmm. So there can be that more peace, joy, connectedness, and spirituality on board. You know, and then and then by doing that, you're restoring more trust in the core self, um, to use the term you like, and you're getting more towards that inner balance and wholeness and bringing more self-energy to how you show up in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and and it's not that you need you know, I think even in his in his books, Schwartz talks about that he himself is is very rarely always floating around, perfectly aligned and harm, harmonized with his parts. Um, so it's not it's not a path to perfection, but I think mm-hmm. it's a path to. Uh, I, I like just the idea of of, of harmonizing to self energy or to core self energy, um, but it's hard to do it if you're not aware of the the constellation of selves in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that awareness is huge. Just um, another practical takeaway that I've used um, hundreds of times, Mm -hmm. more than I can count, uh, personally, is just naming a part, just shedding um, a bit of awareness on, a light of awareness on it when something is activated um, goes a long way. Mm -hmm. Like there's this idea in emotion-focused therapy, you've got to name it to tame it, like Mm like label your emotion as part of the path to regulating it. But I think the same applies to parts. It's like, oh, that's that's my uh, kind of rowdy protector part that just got its button pushed and and it's okay. I That's a part of me and I'm working on it and, and that can help it um, calm down just by the awareness. Yeah, I had some clients come up with some fun names for their <laughs> parts. Like uh, one of my clients... Uh, called her inner critic her the judgment fairy. Yeah. Like, oh, that's the judgment fairy here to bestow the blessings of, you know, in, in criticism of self-criticism. My kids, uh, at least one of my kids calls it glitch brain uh-huh. when he's having intrusive thoughts oh, yeah. that are really self-critical because, you know, he's a video gamer and, and the concept of a glitch makes sense that's to cool. him. And so he's like, oh, dad, I had this thought. I think it's glitch brain. I'm like, oh yeah, let's talk about glitch brain. What's glitch brain trying to do? Glitch brain part. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like giving parts as much kind of color and personality as as you can Mm because it just helps it just helps in that building a relationship with parts that's that's one other big takeaway from the model 
terms of working with clients is just um, helping people develop a relationship with the part, staying with it, spending time with it, um, not rushing, and then trusting that the the self energy, the self essence knows what the parts need to do to heal and transform. Yeah. yeah. Like the inner healer we talk about. Yeah. I think those two concepts, um, overlap a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we, <clears throat> we have a hard out today, but I, and I want to make sure we get to two psychedelics because for me, um, my personal work with psychedelics ha- probably set me up well to really love IFS. And I don't think it's an accident. Um, not only because Schwartz has been, has been ambitious in this, in this regard, but I don't think it's an accident that a lot of psychedelic therapy, uh, programs, training programs and psychedelic therapists are drawn to IFS. There's something about a psychedelic experience that can display parts to you, um, powerfully. Mm-hmm. And especially if you if you prime the landscape, uh, in your preparation with yeah. some parts understanding a lot can be accomplished. And I remember an, an early psilocybin experience I had, um, moving in and out of parts with a fluidity that I'd never experienced before. And some people talk about psychedelics, um, uh, sort of grabbing the protectors and throwing them in the cellar forcefully mm-hmm. and that you can get this rebounding effect after coming out of a psychedelic experience yeah. where the, where the protectors come back with a vengeance. Like, Hey man, I didn't consent to being thrown into the the seller, I get that you had this blissful ex- experience, but this wasn't okay. So just sort of scattering those things on the table yeah. uh, with respect to parts and psychedelics. It's a good way to to look at it. I think, uh, well, look at the MDMA um, assisted therapy manual and the history of it. Um, Dick Schwartz and Michael Mitoffer are friends mm-hmm. and they, um, and Michael and Annie were well informed in, kind of a parts work lens, and it shows up in the MDMA therapy, especially if someone kind of under the influence of a psychedelic or through the course of therapy goes spontaneously into something that looks like parts work, you can join them there or help uh, like gently guide them, like again, trusting their inner healer and trusting the unfolding. But uh yeah, with MDMA, with ketamine, we've done it uh, in countless ways, including what you're saying. Uh, you and I did that ketamine study for eating disorders where we were doing a guided trigger work practice before mm-hmm. sessions and uh, to till the soil, and I thought that was really productive. Yeah. Yeah, I think it um, it can dovetail really nicely because um, you were talking earlier about the word that came to my mind was externalization, like when you name your parts and, and you give them all the color and personality that you can, mm-hmm. like you described, it helps you create a little bit of distance between self energy and parts, enough distance that you can actually notice the energy of a particular part when it shows up. And I think, you know, psychedelics almost do that on steroids, or at least they can, if you till the soil in the way that you described. Yeah. And they can, they can help you. What, what you're describing sounds to me a lot like equanimity too, mm. that, putting a bit of a distance without dissociating from, right? right? Like just uh, naming something helps you um, hold it all, mm-hmm. like accept that it's there, but slip back into that capital S self. And, you know, in my experience and, you know, having seen this in other clients, you can either get slip into that kind of 
really blissful, helpful, useful state during a psychedelic experience, or you can get blended with a part. Mm -hmm. You can really get thrown into a part full force, which also can be useful if held in the right way. Mm -hmm. They can be a little trickier. Yeah, I definitely have had that experience personally, and I've seen my clients have that experience um, where they are, where a, a part has the microphone in a way so completely like that they have never had while sober, you know, while in normal consciousness. So they have to go to the quiet room. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, or, you know, like uh, we were on a call the other day, a supervision call in one of our our clinical trials with a lot of, with the, the therapists on the clinical trial. And somebody was talking about, um, a psychedelic, psychedelic research participant being sort of unhinged during the whole yeah. session, trying to, trying to leave, ran and slammed up against the window. Like, um, and then afterward the person reflecting on what had happened and being a little mortified by this part that sort of showed up and took the steering wheel for the duration of the experience. That's, I think a good, uh, caveat or a good, um, note for people working in this space as therapist guides. Um, cause we've seen that, you know, in to varying degrees, um, in ketamine work, for mm-hmm. example, where you can really, um, you, you can be kind of disinhibited or in a non-ordinary state where you can, um, blend with that part. And that could show up as, uh, you know, in a, difficult session kind of way for the, for the therapist of having to hold someone in their, like their old flashback trigger that they've just embodied. Yeah. Yeah. I know we're, we just, we got to wrap up here soon, but I want to tell this story real quick about my, one of my kids. So my middle son, super creative kid, quiet and shy, but he's always been very interested in dreams and in Mm -hmm. lucid dreaming. I mean, for years, even when he was younger, he wanted to, dad, how do I lucid dream? How do I control my dreams? So he's, 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 um, been playing around with lucid dreaming. And yesterday I was telling him about, we were talking about parts and he's like, you know, dad, what I like to do is I like to meet the different parts of myself in my dreams because really everything that shows up in my dreams is just me. It's coming from me. It's all parts of me. So I like to lucid dream because I feel like I get to know myself a lot Mm -hmm. better by encountering these different characters in my dreams. And he's like, sometimes I can prime it. If I want to, if I want to get to know something or if I want to play with a character, I'll think about it in detail as I fall asleep. And then more often than not, that character shows up in my dream and then I can get to know myself. I was like, oh my gosh, my son's having these full (laughs) non-ordinary state experiences in his dreamscape. Yeah. That's really cool. Especially at that age. Um, Because lucid dreaming is fascinating. It's a little bit uh, hard to pin down Mm. and kind of a a lifelong practice I found, but I still find myself doing that pretty often is um, trying to take a question into dream space mm-hmm. and it doesn't, doesn't always work or isn't always remembered. But if you like have a kind of a meditation or intention, I find at night and a notebook nearby, um, I've found that some, some insights really come out of the, out of the dream state mm-hmm. that you can capture. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. Any final words before we wrap up on parts? Well, um, no, I think uh, my final thought is we should dive into this some more because mm-hmm. there's a, you know, a, a big, vast world to explore parts work. But but what I've found personally and in working with people is that um, changes in the inner uh, 
family, the inner system, um, go a long way in changes in how you show up in the world, like more self-led. Um, it can be high yields from doing even a little bit of this work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Strongly encouraged. Well, thanks Reed. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers is brought to you by Numinous, a mental wellness company committed to tackling the global mental health crisis by delivering best-in-class psychedelic-assisted therapies, contributing to the body of primary and clinical psychedelic research, and fostering healing through community connection and social responsibility. You can learn more about Numinous at Numinous.com. That's N-U-M-I-N-U-S.com. If you enjoyed the show today and you want to support us, here's how you do it. Rate and review the show on platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe to the Numinous YouTube channel, like the videos, and share it. Share the show or clips of the show with someone that you think will enjoy it. Hey listeners, it's Steve Thayer here, letting you know that Numinous offers unique training opportunities for mental health practitioners to develop their skills and expertise in offering psychedelic-assisted therapy to clients. These courses are carefully crafted by numinous professionals like myself, Reed, Joe, and others, and offer a variety of high-quality learning experiences. So if you would like to learn more about these trainings, you can find the link in the show notes below, or you can visit numinous.com forward slash training. That's numinous.com forward slash training. The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice or mental health treatment. Consult with a medical or mental health professional if you believe you are in need of mental health treatment.